You're listening to The Parking Podcast. Views and opinions are my own. The Parking Podcast is brought to you by the International Parking and Mobility Institute, the world's largest association for professionals in parking, mobility, and transportation. Learn more at parking-mobility.org. This episode is brought to you by Pave Mobility. Pave Mobility is the leader in automated parking enforcement. Pave installs fixed LPR cameras at no charge to you or your operation. Pave then captures parkers who did not make a payment or are not on a credentialed list and sends them a notice in the mail. Learn why so many asset owners and operators are switching over to Pave at pavemobility.com or you can just message me. I'd love to get involved and personally help with your account. Welcome back to another episode of the Parking Podcast. With us today is Fred Bredemeyer, CEO of Pave Mobility, also my good friend, mentor, and now boss. How are you doing today, Fred? I'm doing great, Isaiah. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, and the apologies that whoever had the mic from the previous uh, recording had a dog because I saw the <laughs> mic was covered in dog hair. <laughs> to Not a problem. <laughs> All right. As I like to ask everyone on the podcast, tell us how in the world you got into parking. Yeah. So um, like many others, I got a part-time job and never got out. Started as a valet parking attendant in Chicago way back in 1986. And wow. despite a couple of, couple of times working a couple of different jobs, I literally professionally have only parked cars for the last 35 years since then Jeez. 35 uh, plus years yeah because i was born in 85 <laughs> <laughs> you know it's funny my brother um he did valet in college and he's kept up with the owner who texts him every month or so to help out so my brother was joking he's a fireman that he's been in parking for 17 years He's younger than me, and I've been in parking for 16, so that he's technically has a, a lengthier parking career than me, but so many get into the industry and never get out of it. So, And you have a great story because I know you've worked for Miami Parking Authority, you've worked for parking operators, now you're in tech. So I don't know, kind of talk about some of the, the different places you've been and you know what, what do you like the best? You like the private side, the municipal side, tech side? Well, give us some thoughts on that. Well, it, it certainly has been an interesting career. And a lot of people, of course, those of us in the parking industry uh, understand the business and what a large industry it is. Um, so having been able to successfully feed my family and put two kids through college, well, knock on wood, one of them graduated, the other one's a senior. So, you know, having been able to make a, a comfortable living in the parking industry, starting out as a valet attendant is is quite a blessing. So I do I'm very appreciative of the industry. But I've done a little bit of everything. Again, I started as a valet attendant in Chicago with a company that was called um, back then it was General Parking, the Green P in Chicago. And yeah. now it of course wow. it's Inner Park. But I had the pleasure of working with uh, Gordon Pression and meeting Gordon Pression, the founder of General Parking, um, through my friend and mentor John Hammerschlag. 
Okay. I know John. John yeah. John Hammershog hired me into the industry. Um, we've been friends uh, for that entire period. He's been a mentor of mine and he helped me realize the, the opportunities and helped um, advance my career because after doing everything in Chicago, again, valet attendant, uh, garage attendant, sweeper, scrubber, maintenance, I've done it all in terms of entry level. But then I went with um, Clyde Wilson, another, in, another mentor of mine, convinced me to to move to Miami to, to be the assistant parking manager at Jackson Memorial Hospital, which I had no intention of ever moving to Miami. I told Clyde no at least five times. <laughs> and he said, come on, just go there for a couple of days. I'll pay for the trip and, you know, just go see the operation. And I went. That's uh, how they Miami. get you. That's how they get you. I, I, I came to Miami, of course, now I still live in South Florida. Uh, I came to Miami in 1991 after spending a year in New Orleans. And, and I was literally here. I was in Miami for a couple of hours and said, why on earth wouldn't I live here? I think I was 21 at the time or 22 at the time mm. and decided, okay, I could live in Miami and uh, so I started working for what was then Abcoa, Abcoa Parking. It became I was, Central, right? Uh, no, I, well, oh. I left before it became Central. I was yep. there through the Standard merger. So Abcoa merged with Standard. That's right. Correct. Um, by that time, I was a regional manager for, for Abcoa, became a regional manager for Standard Parking. I was overseeing all of Florida. We had picked up a few municipal accounts. So I started, started getting used to the municipal side of the business. We did Miami Beach and we did... Um, we did Coral Gables, um, mostly leases and staffing. It wasn't like meter collection and those things, but yeah. we had a good municipal business. We had a good uh, market in Florida through the standard merger. And then I left to go work with, with Clyde again to form the parking network with Clyde Wilson and Charlie Munn and did that for a number of years. I was had a niche of collecting parking taxes and Clyde still does that, I think, for the... Um, for the yeah. city of Los Angeles, but he and I won the contract to collect the parking tax for the city of Miami. And then we did the same thing for the city of Los Angeles for about, for, we did Miami for like eight years. And for a couple of those years, I was traveling back and forth between Los Angeles and Miami, and then just decided um, that was enough traveling. Um, I did that for like two years when, uh, when an opportunity to be to go work for the Miami Parking Authority came available. And it was one of the only positions that you could have that level of level of authority and position in parking without traveling. And, mm. and I was the chief operations officer for the Miami Parking Authority for five years. So I did get a little bit of the municipal side. And after doing that, my good friend, Bajan Egg Tadari told me, uh, it was bad enough you were in parking. Now you're in government in parking, <laughs> and it doesn't get any worse than that. <laughs> oh, he's not wrong. That's funny. I I love to tell that joke. Um, I had a great run at Miami Parking Authority. I learned a lot working for Art Noriega, of course. Um, Miami Parking Authority was and still is one of the best run authorities and parking systems in the country. Yep. And and so I I learned a lot working there with all of those folks. Um, but especially learned a lot about enforcement to bring me full circle to where I am today. So I then I spent a few years doing um, different things, consulting mostly for private equity firms that were acquiring parking assets. 
yep. until Bajan hired me to run a company called Park One. I was president of Park One. Park One was the largest parking operator in the state of Florida in terms of number of locations and number of employees. We had about 200 locations and 2,000 employees throughout South Florida. And I wow. ran that. I ran Park One for about seven years. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be part of the citizens roll-up that Jerry Scalette did and Bajan and Jerry. And I worked with them through the citizens roll-up and their investors. And then, of course, after the citizens roll-up, we exited again through, through the SoftBank slash Park Jockey slash Reef exit. Um, and then I worked for Reef for about a year. I stayed on after that, uh, after Reef bought what was uh, Park One and Ameripark yep. and Lanier. I stayed yep. on for about a year and then I decided to, uh, to see what else was available. Yep. And that's how I ended up in the technology side. So I knew, I knew after leaving Reef, I knew LPR was going to be a big part of the parking future. Same, and, same. Uh, and then I followed... Uh, uh, another friend of mine, Andrew Beechler, into the LPR enforcement and fortunate enough to meet Levy Sudak at that point too. Man, it's crazy thinking about some of these companies you've worked for and then where they are now, like, you know, general parking. I even heard they they invented like the P sign that you see in every city across the America. They were kind of the first to do that P. This is, you know, 50 years ago or whatever, but just to see the impact they've had on the parking industry. Then APCOA, became SB standard parking and merged central and SB plus and then park one and now reef. So it's, it's wild seeing some of the companies you've worked with and where they've evolved and some of the names you've worked with Gordon Prussian that you've mentioned, um, Charlie Munn, Clyde Wilson, John Hammerslag, Bajan, Jerry Scalette, Art Noriega, all these huge people in the, in the industry that, um, you could see that have shaped your career and your life. And that's wild to see all these, people and companies that you've uh, come across or have been mentored by. So explains a, a lot. And I'm thankful for that you share that with me. And now, of course, you're with Pave Mobility is the technology company that you're with. In my totally unbiased opinion, no <laughs> bias at all, I think it's the most promising, exciting, uh, groundbreaking company uh, in the industry, totally unbiased. But no, uh, so obviously I work for Pave now with Fred, but uh, tell us how Pave got started. You mentioned Levy and, and give us the elevator pitch on, on what Pave Mobility does. And then I'll have questions about the solutions. Yes. Well, so very fortunate to, um, after I left Reef, uh, was just, you know, it's in the middle of COVID. Everybody's deciding what's next and what's next for the parking industry. And I knew that LPR was, was the future and gateless and frictionless parking was really going to take hold. And so connected with Andrew and was doing manual enforcement on a number of parking facilities. And then Levy Sudak. Levy had a company called Edico Parking. And Levy was doing LPR enforcement with his dad in England going back 10, 15 years ago, literally with, um, with DVRs and recording, recording license plates and going back and looking at them manually and entering them manually. Uh, so Levy was... Mm -hmm. Levy was, you know, a groundbreaker in bringing LPR enforcement to the United States. And he had partnered with Andrew and they had started just first as a, um, as a client and vendor where Levy was providing the technology for Andrew and Andrew would then, you know, recruit other operators to use their enforcement services. But by the time I was introduced 
to Levy again, because I'd known Andrew for years, they they had decided to merge and they they wondered if I and asked if I could help one merge the two companies together and then create um, a new company. And then we were all at lunch one day and I said, hey, how about Pave Mobility Partners in Automatic Vehicle Enforcement? And right away, within 10 seconds, somebody said, yeah, I love it. Paving the <laughs> paving the way to frictionless parking. And so we were at lunch uh, when the two companies were just PPM and Etico. And then we said, okay, let's form Pave Mobility. And we did. And uh, it was uh, one of those, you know, again, like you said, I've worked with some great people in the industry, a lot of really smart people. And it's just a collection of experiences that bring people together and then bring ideas together. And then like the skill sets that you have from doing different things that all come together. And then it was, it was, you know, just very fortuitous. Yeah. And, and it was interesting how we, we formed PAVE. And then, you know, now today we're, we're continuing to, you know, be the leader in LPR enforcement. We do LPR in more than 200 locations. We've been doing it for more than three years. So the learning curve that we have in terms of accuracy and efficiency but also just functionality with uh, features and flexibility of, of the system. Uh, we've learned a lot over the last three years putting this whole thing together. Yeah. And so part of my passion now, I don't know if you've seen it, but I'm trying to create, actually I did create the world's first parking museum. So I've got to find out, I got to find that napkin that you spelt out pave and what <laughs> restaurant you guys are at and keep that for the for the museum but no that's a that's a great story and yeah so same thing after my exit from from a parking operator i wanted to get into tech i saw this as the future but i was mortified because or not mortified i was a little scared because i work in municipal where it's very political and as you know one bad ticket that goes to the mayor the press and you know, it gets very political quickly. Your name's on the news front paper, the news. So I had a fear of this solution. I knew this is the future, but I was like, how do we not send out bad notices? I don't, you know what? This seems like when it's automated that so many things can go wrong. In fact, I had, you know, started studying these different companies to say, you know, who's, who's the safest or who's, you know, who's not, not necessarily the safest, but who's cautious, who's got custom service in mind. And I really, really liked when I met with Fred and your team in the Dania offices and we went through and you guys were showing me everything you could to not send out a bad notice. And I was like, this is it. This is the company I want to work for. Talk about kind of, you know, how you're not sending tickets out to, to, to police or people that put in an I instead of a one and all the things that can go wrong when the customer's paying by plate. Tell us what you're doing to not mail out a bad notice. Yeah, so that's that's an excellent question, and um, accuracy has been a number one priority for us since forming Pave. Um, but I think to explain how accurate we are, you have to back up and just explain the process in general. So, so we we specialize in fixed LPR, and we install cameras at the entrances and exits of every, of a parking facility of every entrance and every exit. So we get a digital image of every car coming in and every car coming out. So we know exactly how long vehicle XYZ123 was in the parking facility. And then we're integrated with every major payment provider in the industry, and we continue to integrate with more and more. Every two weeks, we have a, a, a release, and that sprint 
includes an integration with two or three different payment providers, permit providers, management softwares, or other credentialing platforms. That's what I call them. So we get credentials. We get credentials from a T2 machine or a Parkion machine or a park by app or a pay by phone or park mobile. We get a credential that says, yep. They, that says they paid to park or they're allowed to park. Then our algorithms and our sweet spot is, is the software in the middle that compares who parked versus who paid. And it sounds easy and it sounds like just a database match, but it's not, it's way more complicated than that especially when you want to be as accurate as possible. Mm -hmm. So first thing, if somebody entered their license plate wrong, we're not going to get a match. And usually that's off by one or two digits. So we have algorithms that will automatically detect a payment that is only one or two digits off what we call a digital parking session that we identified with our cameras. So we physically review every single notice before it goes out. So we will have somebody compare what the camera read, because the cameras we know too are not 100% accurate. The mm -hmm. camera might misread a Q as an O. And so we know to look for those images and confirm that, okay, here the camera read a Q or read an O, but this person entered their license plate as Q. And we know to match those because we're physically reviewing every single one. Sometimes it's the camera. A lot of times it's the end user entering their license plate off by one digit or two. So physically reviewing every single notice, and we send out tens of thousands of notices a month. I heard every seven, one 70, 70,000, and every single one is manually reviewed. Manually well. reviewed. And that's yeah. the first thing. And then, of course, our system, we have built in a ton of algorithms and fail-safes so that we know if there's a machine on a parking lot, or let's say there's a parking lot with four payment machines, and we get payment data from those machines every day in certain intervals. Well, if one of those machines is down for whatever reason, the battery is low or the communication is off, whatever happened, that machine didn't communicate that day. You're going to receive, you're going to not receive payment information from that, but you're still going to receive payment information from the other three machines. Well, our algorithms will detect that one machine wasn't transmitting payments and will temporarily pause that pause LPR enforcement for that parking facility. I love that. And you see, so we, it, we used to see it in manual enforcement, you would be, the mobile app was down and you're issuing hundreds of tickets. And then uh, two weeks later, you get all appeals that the app was down with screenshots that the app was down. So yeah, so again, we have that was monitors. my fear with, yeah, with automated, but with our health monitors and like you said, and getting the, getting that, those being alerted that the system was downed and being able to freeze those before those letters go out. In fact, it does it automatically puts those in a queue saying uh, payment system was down. What do you want to do with these? Can we download the payments manually? Can we, do you want to avoid these? So cool what that does. Yes. And those health monitors really pay dividends because um, you'll know we can, we can pull up a payment source from any location and say, okay, this payment source communicated two hours ago or 36 hours ago. We know exactly how often we've gotten data from those payment sources. And then we take it another step further that if just in general, if a location that usually has, we'll call it a 12% violation rate, you know, usually out of a hundred payments, we, we find 12 people that didn't pay. We will set a threshold for that location that if the next day the violation rate is at 20%, 
we're going to get an alarm and we're going to say, wait a minute, too many cars are in violation on this facility. We are pausing notices and we're going to find out why all of a sudden 50% violation rate happened. And that's usually, again, because the- I just got one. Hey, hey, it was 4th of July. I forgot to tell you, we don't charge on 4th of July. So the Correct. system has non-enforceable dates. You could set up your holidays. This client forgot to provide that information. We were we got the alert. Hey, way more tickets than normal, and quickly fixed it before those letters went out. Which again, just it seems like you guys are doing or we're doing everything we can not to mail out a bad notice. That's it. Yeah, and those those fail safes um, also pay dividends and stop a lot of uh, notices from going out. What about like a disabled veteran or? Uh, disabled Parker, you know, that seems like a problem. What, what are you guys doing for that? Again, that's um, another thing from years of experience. Um, we have uh, algorithms that detect license plates. Um, disabled vets are, are a great example. And we haven't, we don't have an operator yet that has said, no, we want you to send parking charge notices to disabled vets. A lot of people or people with disabled parking permits believe that parking is free off street anywhere, even on private lots. Well, we definitely um, allow operators to charge for parking on private lots for persons with disabled placards. And then if they want to void somebody who automatically void disabled, who have a, um, a disabled vet, a disabled vet plate, our system will automatically mark those and we'll never send a notice to one of those folks. Yeah. Then we waive disabled parking for anybody who calls in for the first time to our customer disputes and says, Hey, I was disabled. I thought parking was free. I parked in a disabled space and I I thought parking was free. Oh, it's, it's not, sorry, you were supposed to pay. We're going to void your notice. And then we keep a database of that so that people can't um, continue to use that excuse in the future. Yeah. And, like you talk about, we have FOIA'd all every DMV to get maybe how they format their disabled vets or their handicapped plates. Like for example, in Florida, it's always DV for disabled vet and then four numeric characters, one, two, three, four. So our system knows if we see that and the client, it's uh, free parking for disabled vets to automatically remove those from the queue. So some really cool stuff. And I love watching our staff do the manual reviews and kind of they go out of their way to you know to make sure the customer did not pay their plate uh, number incorrectly so our system if they have a violation our system shows you know any similar pay- payments to say oh this person pay they just they missed a character they put an i they put a i instead of a one a zero in front of o they missed two characters whatever they forgot to put in the stack characters our staff carefully reviews those they have a database of what every state plate looks like, and they they use that to make great decisions that improve our customer service. So that's uh, that's really cool. So this sounds very expensive. You know, we know parks equipment gates. They you know there there there's times where I think operations need gates for barriers. Um, many don't, and we know that they can be expensive, hundreds of thousand dollars, if not millions, for multi garage operations. Talk about how we charge for our system. What does it cost to put in all the cameras and electrical work and computers and power and signage? Talk about uh, how we charge. I think that's a large part 
of our success is the fact that our ins- our system is installed entirely with zero upfront expense to the parking operator or asset owner. And we can put an LPR system, fully functioning LPR enforcement system on a parking lot in as little as four to six weeks and have income coming in for enforcement income that's usually three to eight times or five to eight times what manual enforcement is, have that income coming in within 30 days after that um, with zero upfront cost to, to the parking operator. And that's a huge selling point. That's what's enabled our, our rapid growth um, is we have, the, we have the capital and the resources to do those installations. Um, like I said, we've already installed over 200 locations. We have uh, 100 in the, in the pipeline to install. Those are going to be installed. Uh, we're installing 20, 30 a month right now. So you know, having the ability to scale quickly and efficiently is, is one, of, uh, one of the things that we've really focused on, um, both from a resource standpoint, from a capital standpoint to buy the equipment, but then also the personnel to be able to program and, and configure that equipment. Um, again, all with zero cost to the operator, zero upfront cost. And then we do a revenue share on, on the enforcement revenue. The operator or asset owner keeps 100% of their transient or monthly or all the existing revenue, and we just share on the inf- LPR enforcement revenue. Yeah, so not a- only are they getting way more in enforcement because it's 24-7 and it doesn't, it rarely misses, unlike a manual enforcement officer who, who's walking between six garages and he's there every two hours, you know, uh, this their, their enforcement revenue skyrockets, but their transient, uh, we've seen it where it triples because a few things is... Um, Number one, when people see enforced by cameras, they are more incentivized to pay, just like when you're driving and you see the speed limits enforced by camera, people slow down. Same thing. You're, you're getting way more payments. And um, as we found, found that when people pay in advance, they pay more. So it's um, uh, when people, have, you know, they're unsure how long their meeting is going to be. Maybe they pay for two hours and they only park for an hour and a half. So our clients are seeing a lot more in that transient revenue. Um, so we know revenue is a huge benefit. What are some other benefits to uh, to putting in pay maybe that we haven't discussed? Well, just from a security standpoint, even though we're not a security company, um, we also install overhead cameras um, upon request. So um, we can put, you know, we put our LPR cameras at the entrance and exits of facilities. But if an operator or asset owner wants additional cameras installed to view the, mm. the activity in the lot, we can install those cameras. And then from a safety standpoint, um, we've worked very closely with uh, law enforcement at different levels. For we, we literally just helped the city of Fort Lauderdale capture a kidnapper and the victim with license plate recognition because wow. the car had went in and out of a parking lot. They put in a request to us. We get permission from the operator. We get approvals. And then we give them a list. Okay, here's the license plates that came in from this time to this time. The police run those. They were able to find the vehicle and the, and the, the victim. Uh, so that was, that was huge. Wow, I didn't um, even know that. What a, what a great story. And we've, we've solved talked- murders. We've, wow. you know, our, our data, 
and our data and um, ability to uh, provide that information of every car that's coming in and out of a parking facility um, is really valuable. Yeah. And uh, what's coming out soon is our hot list finder where we can work with police to put in their stolen vehicles or warrants or Amber alerts automatically that would go into our system. You put in an email such as dispatch or security. And anytime that plate is read from a list without us even knowing if it's private, we can mark it all hidden. The police will get a, an email. Hey, this car, which has a warrant on just entered this garage. Here's the GPS address and they can do what they want with that. So it's some really cool stuff. Yes. And Isaiah, don't forget the other benefit of the savings in labor, because we all know staffing and hiring employees is increasingly difficult and mm. very expensive. Parking enforcement officers all over the country do an amazing job, but increasingly those positions are, are hard to fill. So when you can put the LPR enforcement in place and those folks can be reassigned either one in a desk behind a computer, looking at notices, approving notices, and or handling customer appeals, that's a great benefit to not just the employer, but the employee, or also reassign them in the field if they have a different area, a residential area, or a, uh, a loading zone area that requires more attention. You're taking them off of the parking facilities or parking lots and putting them in a higher and best use for the enforcement officer and and saving a lot of labor in the process. So that's oh, yeah. also a huge benefit. That's been one of the biggest challenges in the industry is frontline staffing. So again, repurpose that to do things that actually matter in the parking industry, put them out of harm's way and uh, focus on cleaning, having cleaner and safer garages. So, um, and then also all the all the data you're co we're collecting and the reports and insights that we can provide from our solution are is another benefit I just thought of. So, and and don't forget the other benefit of LPR enforcement is you know the alternative on a gateless facility is booting or towing. So I think one of the reasons that I really got behind Paves Vision and helped shape Paves Vision is because we are a much kinder and gentler form of parking enforcement as compared to booting or towing. I mean now for somebody who just overstays or those folks that we know don't want to pay for parking, they're getting a letter in the mail and an invoice and an opportunity to, to make a payment instead of going somewhere on another part of town to get their car out of a tow yard or worse, wait for somebody to come take a boot off of their car while they're late for their next meeting or something mm -hmm. like that. So yeah, great point. Great point. You know, lastly, what's like the, uh, What's like the ideal garage, parking lot, you know, just municipal, airport, private, anything and everything. Talk about also some of the non-parking things we've been doing, such as what we're doing in, in Marathon and um, just, yeah, what who should be contacting you if they're listening and thinking they may have a, a fit for, uh, for the solution? So we've, uh, we've applied LPR enforcement already in about any application that, that you can think of. The ideal application is an unattended surface lot. It could be gated and you're going to go gateless or it's already ungated. LPR enforcement for an ungated surface lot is definitely the way to go, especially in a high turnover area or a busy transient parking facility. Um, we've installed in 
several garages and it works very well in garages and mixed use. Um, we have hybrid systems where it's frictionless or gateless on the bottom two floors. And then we can help you raise a gate to get the uh, and cross out the cars that go to the reserve parking on levels three and above or something like that. Um, so there's all kinds of applications, including like what you said, what we're doing in, in Marathon. So it's really interesting there we're doing boat ramp enforcement and we are actually monitoring boat ramps to verify when a trailer drops a boat and when a trailer picks up a boat and we're using license plate recognition enforcement along with our manual review process to confirm okay this trailer dropped a boat picked the boat up they owe they owe this municipality $50 25 each for each pickup and drop off and did they pay or not and then we cross reference the payment information and uh, and electronically enforce that. So that's a really interesting application that's our that we're already doing in several oh. facilities and plan on rolling out across the country. That one's been so fun, and they they're just shocked by how accurate it is. And we finally solved their issue of people accessing you, you know, dropping off boats using their boat ramps without paying. This episode is brought to you by Tez Technology. Since 1993, Tez has developed innovative text-based mobile solutions designed to streamline operations, increase efficiency, and improve overall customer experiences. My favorite is the ability to pay for parking without having to download an app. Tez solutions includes SMS valet, text to park, permit to park, and much more. I think every organization or city or university should be adding Tez to their payment options arsenal. Learn more about Tez at tezhq.com. And uh, one other really cool thing about PAVE is we are the only company in the world to have two IPMI Parking Professional of the Year on staff. So, Fred, I believe you won IPMI Parking Professional of the Year maybe 2009. 2009 Parking <laughs> Professional of the Year. <laughs> I won it in 2019. We, we figured that out recently. So uh, no, talk about the honor of winning that award real quick. Uh, so it was, it was great. It was back when the award was kind of new. So I didn't even get to give a speech and thank everyone involved. Um, I just walked up and got a little trophy. And, uh, oh. and maybe that should go in your museum. The 2009. <laughs> was it the first one? If it is, I'm, I'm still. It, it wasn't the first one. Uh, but it, was, it was probably one of the first five or so, or maybe first, definitely first 10, I would think. But uh, Miami Parking Authority that year also won organization of the year. Um, so it was a big event for us wow. and MPA. And those that have a long history in this business might remember the I Know Fred t-shirts that were popular <laughs> at, that, at that conference. That might it's, be in the museum. You got to get me one of those. That should be in the museum. The I Know Fred <laughs> t-shirts that, uh, that certain funny. people... Well, pass around at the 2009 IPMI. So yeah, that was, that was a privilege and it was, uh, it was a little unique back then. Man, here's your chance. I'm going to let you just uh, give your acceptance speech now and thank all your people that made it. <laughs> sponsor. I'm kidding. No, uh, no, no. We don't have time. There's too many people to thank. But yeah. like you said, it, 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 is, it is cool when you look back on a career and you, and you look at all the people that I've had the privilege of working with and alongside, you know, uh, it's, it's been, it's been a privilege and, um, you know, and 
you know, it's nice too that we have such a future ahead of us that like you asked before, what, what have I liked best? Um, being on the technology side and being a solutions provider to operators yep. is by far the, the best position to be in because when you're an operator, you compete with certain people who you like a lot. You, you don't, you know, you don't mind competing with people you don't like, but you know, and the problem is our, there's not a lot of those people in our industry, our industry, after you're in it this long, it's full of a bunch of friends and colleagues that, you know, Yep. Um, that's how you became friends with them is competing professionally alongside of them and being a, a respectable competitor. I couldn't agree more. I think the best people is when you're competing against someone and then become an operator and the people you competed with are reaching out or wanting to work with you, that speaks a lot about you playing the game the right way and your character and, and all that. And yeah, so uh, well done there. And And of course, Isaiah, I would be remiss talking about the great people that I've worked with in the past, if I didn't talk about the great team that we've assembled here at PAVE, obviously we're oh, really blessed to yeah. have you leading our, our municipal efforts and working with parking operators all over the country. But our dev team, our dev team is brilliant. I mean, Ben Hoffman, our CTO, is a great leader who has assembled a group of, of folks that are running a world-class software development team right here in Dana Beach, Florida. Yeah. We have about 15 programmers, most of whom work out of this Dania Beach office that are really, really smart people solving all these problems. Working with Levy Sudak who, and Andrew, who founded this company and, um, and from the beginning have, have played such an important role in just inserting LPR enforcement as the most viable solution for enforcement, as com especially as compared to booting and towing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I work with work with some really good people here from our customer service team in Atlanta to our finance team, who's also in Atlanta. But we have some great people here at PAVE and, you know, working with them has been a privilege as well. Oh, yeah. I was actually in the office this week. So uh, I spent time with Fred, but you can't stress enough about the culture and the teamwork and everyone i've never seen it like to, everyone kind of working together to get the job done no egos no i'm too good for this job or that job it still has that kind of startup feel where everyone's doing everything i was shocked because i'm out of town so i have nothing to do so i'm in the office like at i think it was like 7 30 i wanted to go see a movie at eight and everyone's still in the office and i'm like fred i I can't leave till you leave. You need to go home. Some of these people need to go home because everyone's just excited. You know, it's such a fun, fun team. And yeah, the development, some of my plate checker team, the the project managers out there, Bryant, Juan, just so, so many good people. And uh, I know we're, we got to get back to the show, but yeah, I agree. Just uh, thank you, Andrew and Levy and Ben for all the, the team that hired me. I, I've never been as happy as I am working for this company now. So in fact, if you want to meet some of the team, we will be at the NPA conference next week. Um, I think we are booth 327. Come say hi. Actually, let us know if you listen to this show. Uh, just, I love hearing that. I don't know who actually is listening this far, but we'd love to hear if you're listening to this show. Um, so 327, we'll see you in New Orleans, which I just found out, Fred, you used to live in. So back in kind of your, not your hometown, but a place you, you lived before. So Fred, when you're not improving the frictionless parking industry, what do you like to do for fun? Or as our good friend Steve Resnick said, tell us your fun fact. 
<laughs> oh, those were the days when we went around doing presentations, telling everybody fun facts about ourselves. Yeah. So I, those I, that don't know, anytime we were pitching to a city with Steve Resnick, part of the intro was to, you know, instead of the, we were founded in 2012 and, you know, we would, Hey, my name is Isaiah. And this, my fun fact is we'd have to give one. And so, uh, one funny story, Lafred, I'll let you tell your fun fact was Steve had us all do that in a city. Uh, we'll, we'll protect the innocent right away. The purchasing person said, uh, we don't have time for this. This is not part of the agenda. Please skip the fun facts. <laughs> and, we were like, and we ended up winning that account too, but Fred, tell us your fun fact. Uh, so I have a lot of fun facts. Some are funnier than others, but <laughs> um, the, and I remember some of the ones we came up with Steve and we talked offline about were, were hilarious, but, uh, I like to, I like to ride bicycles. I'm a cyclist. I have road bikes and uh, mountain bikes that I ride on trails. I don't mountain bike too much, but I, I ride flat trails quite a bit and I ride on the road quite a bit. I like to play tennis with a certain parking consultant who is, uh, who will remain unnamed, but hasn't played tennis with me in a couple of, uh, in a couple of months now, but, uh, <laughs> That's because he he probably like the rest of us found out the real sport pickleball and he's 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 transitioned to pickleball is my guess. And he's well actually he is old enough and out of shape enough to transition to pickleball. <laughs> Come on now, <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna offend a lot of listeners. That's funny. <laughs> but uh, no, we, he still likes to play tennis, and I'm just waiting to get back out on the tennis court. That's the other fun thing I like to do. But the fun fact that I used to say a lot in those presentations was I have the largest collection of kente cloth, probably in the United States, um, definitely in the state of Florida. Wow. Um, I have handmade kente cloth from the Ashanti tribe of Ghana, Africa, that I like to show people. And um, it's a very large collection with some really nice handwoven pieces that uh, are really beautiful. So that's what is always... Uh, the fun fact that I can write on a piece of paper and nobody would ever guess about me is wow. that. Well, like, how does that get, how do you get started on that? How did you get your first one that said, man, I want to keep collecting these. So I mentioned my, uh, my mentor, Alfred Anning, who I moved to New Orleans with uh, many, yeah. many years ago. And uh, Alfred is from Ghana. Um, he's from West Africa. And his brother, Kofi Bempa, God rest his soul, was a friend of mine. He worked with us. Kofi actually worked, came to back to Miami with me when I moved to Miami. Kofi did a uh, parking tax collection with me. He passed away a few years ago, but Kofi in his spare time ran a nonprofit agency that taught people how to use the kente loom to, to make kente cloth. And so he, at the same time, had a collection of, of kente cloth. Um, when he went to Africa, I stayed with that collection. He since has passed away. So I uh, have plans to um, to donate it to a museum or do something with it. But I have some really cool Kente cloth pieces that uh, are have some great stories behind them. Wow. I mean, what does this look like? Like dozens, hundreds? Like what's your, what's your, you say largest uh, it's, in Florida? It's dozens. It's dozens, but they're all really big pieces. I actually have one piece of kente cloth that was worn by an Ashanti king during his crowning ceremony. And I, I apologize for those that, that know the exact proper term for that. 
but he was, as he rose to be king, he wore a certain kente cloth for that ceremony. And I have that, that kente cloth. Man, we're going to have to combine to create the parking kente cloth uh, museum <laughs> of the world. Uh, that's wild, though. That's, that's a great fun fact. And mine was, I like to, Steve told me I couldn't say it because it, it was a downer when we were presenting to cities and, you know, and he's probably right, but I like to I visit famous cemeteries and famous, famous, uh, gray sites, authors, actors, presidents. I've got every U S president I've got, but, um, that was, uh, he was rightfully so we don't want to start a meeting with like, I like dead people, you know, great, great fun fact. And Fred, how can listeners, learn more or follow along with the exciting things we're doing at Pave Mobility. So thank you. Uh, Pave is doing some exciting things. Uh, you can follow us at pavemobility.com. Follow me on LinkedIn. We're constantly posting. By the way, we're hiring right now a VP of finance, um, very big position for us to fill. HR is next. We're, we're doing a lot of hiring. So definitely Look at our website and um, and follow us on LinkedIn to see the positions that uh, we have coming open. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Fred or myself, I would love to personally get involved as well. Um, just uh, you can hit me up on my LinkedIn or I'll put my email and Fred's email in the show notes because we would love to help. But uh, Fred, thank you so much for uh, having that discussion with me last year and telling me to give you a call and uh, uh, giving me the tour of the offices and showing me kind of the things you're doing to not ticket people and the the customer service things that, that we're doing that uh, led me to want to join your team. It changed my life and I couldn't be happier working for a company. And thank you for uh, all you've done for parking and, and, uh, and joining the parking podcast. Thank you, Isaiah. It's always a pleasure talking with you and I appreciate you having me on the show. All right. Have a good week. This episode is brought to you by Parker Technology, the customer experience solution of choice in the parking industry. Parker's solution puts a virtual ambassador in every lane to help parking guests pay and get on their way in under a minute. Parker helps capture revenue, provides better customer service, enables your staff to focus on other on-site tasks, and keeps traffic moving, all according to your business rules. With the Parker solution, you'll also enjoy access to real-time call data and recordings. Learn more at helpmeparker.com slash parkingpodcasts. Just wanted to drop a quick word that we have some really cool t-shirts and other merch for sale that help support the podcast and make you look really, really cool. Check them out at parkingcast.com slash swag or click the link in the show notes. This episode is brought to you by RiseTech. RiseTech's Verge data analytics and reporting platform delivers a powerful management solution with integration to your existing technologies. I've actually seen this and it's pretty cool. I hope you check it out. Learn why some of the largest cities in the United States, such as New York City, are using RiseTech to solve their parking and transportation challenges at risetechglobal.com forward slash parking podcast.